Yo, welcome to Voice Acting Up, a podcast where I interview working voice actors who are working their way up. I'm Sean Rohani, and today I get to chat with Jeff Burns. You may know him from his Chilling with Voice Actors panels, which has assembled rotating groups of incredible voice actors to entertain crowds at conventions for several years now, but Jeff is also an ambitious voice actor himself. He takes us through all the moving parts that go into panels and the crazy world of conventions and his own journey through the crazy world of voiceover. Enjoy. You know, normally I ask people what their favorite characters they've done, what their favorite things they've booked on are, but you have obviously a lot of panel experience. So I would ask you what your favorite panel has been, what venue, what convention. Wow. That is a really loaded question, but, (laughs) and I'm sure everyone who's going to listen is going to be pissed off if I say they're not the favorite, but I have to be really honest with myself. My favorite panel that I've ever done is what we did for LA Comic-Con last year. Okay. Is there a reason why that one was a favorite? Was it the actors that you had involved or? It was um... the actors I had involved and it was just... It actually was one of the most difficult panels I had to cast because I had to recast everyone in such a short amount of time. I had 10 days to recast six people. And I ended up with probably one of the greatest lineups I've ever put together. That's awesome. Was was it just, you know, things came up for the actors that other sessions they couldn't do it anymore? Uh, Some actors, they were busy with work. Some actors, they were out of town that week and they had forgotten. So they accidentally double booked with me and I told them straight up, if you got a trip and you got stuff to take care of, don't worry. Mm -hmm. I'll get you on next time. Got it. Whenever next time happens. Right. And then you end up with a lineup that's like Maurice LaMarche, Sissy Jones, Kay Bess, Mick Wingert, Christopher Swindle. Oh my gosh. Eric Bauza, (laughs) Ian James Corlett. And Rena Strober. Obviously, like the main event of your panels is the cold reading, which, if I'm not mistaken, is typically based on radio plays for them. Is that right? Yep. Okay. But you also obviously interview and chat with them as well. So uh, was it always like that from its inception? Or are there things that you've tinkered with and changed as you as the years have gone by? You know, we've always done radio plays because... I would see panels that would do film scripts. And my whole thing about going with films is unlike radio, where audio is the only medium and you don't have any visuals, you can leave it up to imagination with a film because there's a visual element to it, especially if it's something iconic, it informs the reads Mm -hmm. and you might have someone who bases their read on a particular film script based off of how they viewed the film or something they saw. Whereas with a radio play, you can leave so much to interpretation because I don't know how many people go out of their way to listen to 1930s, 40s, or even 50s <laughs> radio plays. Right. And even the audience can be informed and they might compare it to a film with a radio play because they're not really seeking that out. There's nothing to compare it to. It's just, oh, we can have a fun adventure with Superman or Flash Gordon and we can just see mm-hmm. what we discover. Because every read we do, even if we repeat the same scripts every now and again, they're always different. No mm-hmm. actor does the same read twice. Right. And you thought of that from the very first panel that you had to make them radio That's how they visited Comic-Con, and my goal was to bring what I saw at Comic-Con, what inspired me to pursue voice acting, to conventions that might not be as in tune with that. And hopefully mm-hmm. someone in the audience would see this, and maybe they'd get inspired and start pursuing it like I did. Okay. So it sounds like, for the most part, the panel itself 
hasn't needed to evolve so much, but uh, the things that maybe have had to evolve are the behind the scenes and figuring out how to schedule actors and 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 not have to rely on cons to get that done. Sometimes doing it yourself is that right? The behind the scenes has evolved the most because if yeah. you really think about it, it is a very simple panel to put on. The thing that mm-hmm. makes it tough is when you add all these extra elements like convention runners and agents and people like that who you know, they want to micromanage every element and get in my way. Whereas it's like, guys, I've been doing this for a long time. Trust me. Trust that I can handle the talent just fine. And usually nine times out of 10, most talent want to do the panel anyway, to the point where that's why I've been able to get them direct because they're always fascinated by the idea. And sometimes I might ask a friend if they can introduce me to a particular actor or if they can help me get someone. And usually they're more than happy to do it. That's how I've gotten people like Jennifer Hale and Courtney Taylor, and Ben helped me get an actor for last year, one of his old buddies from Houston back in his anime days. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, and I was wondering, you know, uh, so some actors you've known yourself and some people like Ben have been nice enough to introduce you. Obviously, you don't, you know, cast the same actors for every panel. It's different each time. But like, are you excited to try to get people on that you've never had before? How do you determine if you don't know somebody personally, what sort of guidelines do you use to determine whether or not they'd be awesome to have on? The big things for me when it comes to actors that I've never worked with before are, I mean, the big personal one for me, because it is a personal choice I make, especially for panels in Los Angeles, is I try to keep them union because it cuts Mm -hmm. out a lot of things that and a lot of talents that maybe aren't quite ready to do the panel yet Mm -hmm. so i love keeping my panels union and i'll tell you this back when we were supposed to do in-person panels in los angeles this was going to be the first year where all my california panels were going to be 100 percent union oh i just decided in quarantine you know what i still know tons of people and Sometimes people have a hard time understanding just how far my reach is and how many of the top people I know. (laughs) I'm just going to make everything union until we go back to the way it is. And then Mm. I'll bring non-union people in if I'm ever outside of Los Angeles. But because L.A. is a union town, I Mm -hmm. don't really need to cast outside of the union unless I really need someone at the absolute last minute. Right. And then I have to know them well enough to where I know, okay, you can do this sort of thing. And I have Mm. had to do last minute replacements before, but. I've always gotten good people who are just as comparable to my original choice. When you've had to do last minute replacements, have they always been people that you've uh, worked with in the past that you know you can count on? Or have you ever had any last minute replacements that that were, you know, totally new to you as far as like people you didn't know or had never done a panel like this before? Nine times out of 10, it's usually people that I've known personally for a while, or I know their work well enough where I can trust them to do it. Like, right. for example, I had an actress that she couldn't make it to an event one last year because she double booked herself at another event. And we kind of had some crossed wires with communication, but we sorted it out and I told her I'd get her for a future panel. But I had Brittany come in and do the panel because I needed okay. someone at the last minute. And I happened to be looking at my Facebook messenger to see who was online and Brittany happened to be available. So I'm like, (laughs) I'm texting her on Facebook. I'm like, are you available on this day? And she's like, yeah, what's up? And my response is you're hired. (laughs) That's awesome. I need you to come in and do a panel. It's your turn. (laughs) And I'm sure she knocked it out of the park. Oh yeah. You can watch that panel on YouTube. She was pretty fun on that one. Beautiful. 
Yeah, she's awesome. Um, yeah, I like Brittany. And it mm-hmm. was also a benefit to have her talk about producing demos because right. we change things up a little bit based off of who's on there. So that panel in particular, I had Brittany and Brock Powell, who you should okay. also get for this podcast. And they were both yeah. able to talk about their perspectives producing demos. And it's I like to try and educate and give people important information that they might not be exposed to otherwise, or they might have to pay thousands of dollars to get where it's like, Mm-hmm. We could do this for much cheaper, and if they get demo clients out of it, or they want people to consult them further, it allows people that opportunity. Right. So it's people like that, and occasionally, sometimes another actor will recommend me someone, usually who's good, or on mm-hmm. rare occasions, sometimes the top people in the business will randomly message me on social media, and I'll just oh, wow. be like, "I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> I'll get, I'll add you as soon as I have an opening." That's actually how I got Ian Corlett. And Dave wow. B. Mitchell, they both messaged me on Instagram a year before they were cast. And then I remembered them and I was putting together two panels and I put them both on each of them. Cool. <laughs> and you kind of touched on it a little bit, but sometimes you think of trying to have people on that. Uh, like, for example, Brittany has the background in producing demos as well. So that's a bit of information that can help people. Is each person that's at every panel there because of the type of work that they do? or or is it a mix of that and just having talented people on board? It's a mix of a number of things. I like to have talented people on board based off of their body of work and whatnot. I also like to have teachers on the panel because I feel it's important that mm. people know that there aren't just the teachers that they think there are in Los Angeles. There's more teachers than they think. And mm. there's good teachers and bad teachers. And I always try to make sure we have the good teachers. I've never right. had a bad teacher on my panel yet. So I've been very fortunate mm. about that. And I mean, the most important thing for me above all that is they're nice people. Mm -hmm. I won't cast an actor if they're not nice. And I pay attention to a lot of behavior when Mm -hmm. it comes to that sort of thing, because it's like, if you're going to be a pain in the ass, what do I gain by casting you? I don't care how popular you are. I don't care how talented you are. If you're a pain in the neck, I'm going to go with someone else. They might not have as many credits or they might still be budding in their careers. But if they were nicer than me. I will take Mm -hmm. niceness over talent any day of the week. Absolutely. Well, hopefully when we finally have conventions to go to again, then... uh... I miss them so much. Especially (laughs) since Comic-Con was supposed to be a month from now. Oh, man. And, well, let me ask you this. I'll jump ahead real quick. Um, I know you live in San Diego. So were you born in San Diego? No, I was not born in San Diego. I was born in Philadelphia. I moved to New York City when I was two. And then around the end of 1995, when I was four, my dad got a job out in California and Mm. we left New York and we ended up in San Diego where I've been ever since. And I've been attending Comic-Con since 1998. Wow. How much is it? I mean, I never, I've never had the chance to go to San Diego Comic-Con. Obviously it's changed tremendously. What are some things that you enjoy about how it is now and some things you miss about how it was before? Well, you have to understand growing up with Comic-Con is very different to just suddenly starting to go to Comic-Con in this day and age. So when I grew up going to Comic-Con, it used to be you could walk into the convention center and buy a badge for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And I would always go with my mother because Sunday was the children's day. So you walk into Comic-Con, you wait in line for a little bit. You got a badge for 10 bucks. Oh, wow. <laughs> now these badges are 300 bucks. So, I mean, the cost has gone up. But my interest with Comic-Con has changed over time because as a kid, I was really into anime. So I would go mm. to Comic-Con to get my anime fixes. 
and that slowly evolved over time. The video games. I also did a lot of trading card games. I played Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh for a while at Comic-Con. Nice. And then I started getting in the panels and whatnot. And it didn't set me immediately on the path to becoming a panelist, but it introduced me to voice actors and voice acting. And I decided around 2007, after seeing a cold reading panel that had a fantastic lineup and they did War of the Worlds with it. Hmm. This is something I want to do. I grew up with all these people. I've always loved cartoons my entire life. I want to be a voice actor. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that's, I was going to ask because you have your hand in voice acting. You have it obviously in panels at conventions. You have it. Uh, I know you've been looking into casting as well. So do you envision yourself continuing to do all three down the line? Or is there one that you'd prefer to be like the primary path and then still maybe get involved occasionally with the others? I mean, I would love to do all three as long as I can. Panels aren't going away anytime soon because that's my passion. And right. I just love going to conventions a lot. But if I had to choose one, easily voice acting. And I'd love to do all the other stuff on the side just because I love voice acting. I love creating characters. So th was, that was when you were inspired with voice acting was, was seeing that cold reading. What happened from then to actively pursuing it as a career? A lot of false starts, a lot of disappointment, and a lot of learning to deal with my ego and not <laughs> and just learn, oh, I'm not just brilliant. I need to take classes. I need to learn yeah. how to become an actor. I, I can't just do the thing. <laughs> yep. Yep. You're not just gonna hand me an actor job. <laughs> oh man. That's why I'm so passionate about like in interviews in with other guests on this podcast. Basically, everything that I'm passionate about warning people about is stuff that I did that <laughs> that might have, you know, delayed my my path towards becoming a working voice actor. It's crazy how like when you're starting uh, and I've said this before, but I think the reason like our egos are often higher when we're starting is because we're in our minds, we're really good, but we don't realize that the things we're really good at are not what's required to be a professional voice actor. So like we might be really good at a bunch of crazy sounds and textures or imitations or certain characters. And that has its place in voice acting. But, you know, if it's a stereotypical character, they have a bajillion of them already in the industry, you know? So oh, absolutely. And I mean, the other thing when I was when I decided I was 16, when I decided I wanted to be a voice actor. So wow, I was a very hot headed, very angry, very passionate high schooler who didn't know any of this. And it's <laughs> like, Oh, if I go to enough panels at conventions, maybe some of this will rub off on me. And then I can become a brilliant actor. <laughs> I didn't actually start taking classes until years later. I see. Okay. So for those years before you took classes, you had that mindset that it'll just, you'll be discovered. It'll come to you. It was a little bit of that. And also I was the kid in school who did funny voices and did impressions of everyone that I could right. possibly do and just learning how to play with my voice. Mm -hmm. And that continued throughout college because I majored in broadcasting. It's like, I don't want to do news. I want to be a voice actor. Mm -hmm. It's just something I always <laughs> okay. knew I wanted to do. Got it. And where did you end up going to college? San Francisco State University. So I spent four lovely years in San Francisco. Loved every second of it. I'm glad I got out when I did, because that was around when the tech companies started moving in and everything right. started getting more gentrified and expensive. So mm -hmm. it's a sad state that it's kind of in right now. But I mean, I never was going to stay there forever. Mm -hmm. My heart was always set on going to Los Angeles at some point. Right. But for the four years I lived up there, it was nice to live in NorCal and get that perspective. Yeah. In San Francisco, did you do anything up there 
to sort of stay active in your pursuit towards voice acting? Yeah, uh, yeah. San Francisco is actually where I started taking classes. And the first couple of classes I took were with Adventures in Voice Acting with Tony Oliver. Cool. Back when he was the only person teaching there. So (laughs) that's how I learned how to do ADR. Mm. And I mean, being in the broadcasting department and eventually taking those classes after a very long first two years where I had to get all my GEs done because mm-hmm. GEs are delightful, especially when you're remedial in some of them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I would do projects for people. I would do funny voices. I did radio for my last semester of college. I had two radio shows because I did two radio classes. So that entitled cool. me to a show per class. Well, that's awesome. I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I'm going to ask you back to paneling how did you end up going from because at that point you were interested in being a voice actor um yeah so how did you end up making efforts to try to have a panel of your own when did that come into play (laughs) well it all kind of ties together because i graduated in 2013 so i moved back Mm -hmm. home and i still had a lot of strong ties to the bay area because for a while I used to also staff anime conventions too. Mm-hmm. I started out doing video game room and then I got bored of that. And I decided I want to do guest relations because I know all the people in the industry. So I got invited to staff a convention up in NorCal, one that I won't name for reasons that I'll get into in a bit. Okay. But they invited me to staff and I went up there around August. It was a Labor Day convention. So I went back to NorCal for two weeks to do two conventions back to back including this one I staffed. Mm -hmm. So I would do that. And the first year I went, I saw the panels they were offering to their guests and they had top names. Like they had Nolan North, they had Troy Baker, Ashley Johnson was there, Bryce Pappenbrook, Jeremy Lee, all these people that had just had a bunch of big things. Like you had people from uncharted and the last of us since the last of us one had just come out. Sword art online Mm -hmm. had just been dubbed. There was a big mix of anime and video game people. And it was a convention that had about 9,500 people. And all the guest panels were just all these Q&A sessions that were unmoderated, unorganized. And I'm like, what has I do with every convention? I weigh them against what I've experienced and been spoiled with for Comic-Con for so many years. Right. (laughs) And it's like, okay, you guys aren't doing right by your guest and you're not doing this correctly. Let me show you how it's done. And with no paneling experience, I basically told them I could do this panel that involves actors reading a script on the fly, like I've seen at Comic-Con for about 10 to 12 years at that point. Right. That's how it started. I had to basically learn how to do everything on the fly. The con would help me cast actors. I would just basically tell them, this is my list of people. Here are some backups. Can you get me any of these people? Mm -hmm. And the first time we did it, it was an unmitigated disaster. We had no idea what we were doing. (laughs) But the audience loved it, and they kept inviting me back to do it for a couple of years. Then cool. some stuff happened, some things changed. I got thrown under the bus in a few ways, and we parted ways, and I walked out. Oh, that's too bad. Then I took a year off and rebooted them in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. where they've been ever since. <laughs> awesome. And you mentioned that at the the other convention, they would help you with casting. Yes. So is that how it typically works? Each place you go to is able to assist you with who's who can attend and help you out with the panel? That's more of the older way I used to do it before I got more confident in contacting actors directly myself mm-hmm. and making sure they want to do it. So it's evolved over time to the point where now I ask people directly to do it. But if it's a convention out in Los Angeles, I try to collaborate with them as much as possible because it's their guest list. I want to highlight their people. Right. Like if it's a con out in Ontario or San Diego, I want their people. And same with Anaheim. Or as I was supposed to do this year, I was supposed to go up to Seattle and do one out of state for the first time ever. 
they were helping me cast and we had a pretty good lineup, but then COVID happened. Oh man. But for all the LA panels, it's all me. Okay. And I hope that that amazing uh, lineup will still come into play and be intact once, once it's allowed again. Um, but we'll see what happens, you know, availability changes and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, it's been nice to be able to, you know, have virtual panels as well. I mean, it definitely fills some of the void. You, you can't compare it with being there in person, but it's nice to have some semblance of it continue on. By the way, you mentioned that your first panel was an unmitigated disaster, but what made it disastrous, if you don't mind me asking? The con had no idea how to cast a panel. They had no idea how to talk to actors and ask them to be on it. I basically had to come up with my lineup on the fly the day of the panel. Wow. And we basically <laughs> barely scraped it together. And I had a very big mix of people who were established and some very, very new people where it's like I basically had to take whoever I could get. Right. Other than that, I mean, we still filled up three-fifths of an entire room. And the audience was like, please do more. We will support you. How how has no one else thought of this idea? You brilliant, brilliant human being. (laughs) So, you know, the actual panel itself, it sounds like it ran pretty smoothly. It was just sort of leading up to that moment that was difficult. The lead up. And I mean, it was my first time moderating anything. So I was nervous AF and I was stressed out because I had to do so much stuff beforehand. But it was one of those things where it's like, I can hype myself up and do a panel and I might be a little nervous at first, but as I do it, it goes down significantly and it keeps going down and down. I've gotten mm-hmm. much better about it, but that's what happens when you've been doing it for six years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, and that's what that, everything it's oftentimes myself included. People don't end up doing something because the nerves take over that, that, that fear of doing something for the first time and accepting that it might be horrible. But once you accept it, it can usually turn into really awesome experiences. Ain't that the truth? And I mean, I've had many wonderful panels with, especially once we rebooted in Los Angeles and we've really gotten the ground running. I've Mm -hmm. worked with people I never thought I'd get to work with, like people I grew up with and people that have just, I'm amazed how much the industry in Los Angeles has embraced the panel. And it's Mm -hmm. why I don't think I'd ever want to do it anywhere else unless somebody <laughs> somewhere else outside of Los Angeles really wants it. Yeah, I mean, I, and I hope I can catch it in L.A. the next time it happens. But you've obviously gone to several other cons. Uh, where have you been? What what cities have you gone to? I mean, the first con I ever did it at was SAC Anime in Sacramento, and that was so far our only NorCal convention. Right. And we did that for two years. They did two shows a year, so that's where the first four were. Okay. Then every other convention after that has been around Los Angeles. Over the farthest I've gone away from LA is Anaheim in Ontario, because I did Power Morphicon two years ago, which was in Anaheim at the time. Right. And I've done ALA twice, or Anime Los Angeles, for anyone who doesn't know acronyms. I did that twice, and that's in Ontario. Right. Okay. But everywhere else, it's been Los Angeles. We've done Long Beach once and Pasadena once. Okay. And, you know, I asked you what your favorite convention has been so far, but what's your favorite experience been? Because, I mean, a lot of crazy stuff happens at cons. Just as a general experience or a paneling experience? Both. I would say one for a general experience and one as a panel experience. Oh, boy. General (laughs) is hard because I have 22 years of experiences that I've had. I mean, when I was much younger, there was one time where I met Mark Hamill after a Arkham Asylum panel just before another panel was about to start. And Mark actually took the time to take a photo with me. (laughs) Cool. And I mean, just (laughs) early examples where I got to meet people who were just really kind and encouraging and just telling me never to give up, like Maurice LaMarche, Jess Arnell, Billy West, Mm -hmm. Susan Silo. 
Yeah. And wow. some of these people I still talk to 10, 12 years later, which I'm still amazed they haven't, they haven't chased me away yet. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. And that, that always amazes me in the voice acting community. Cause it feels like at some point, you know, there's gotta be a wall to the kindness, but that doesn't seem to be the case. You know, all these big names you mentioned even still seem to be very helpful and, and supportive and available. And it's one of the reasons that I'm working diligently to make this my career for the rest of my life, because I can't think of any kinder, more welcoming workplace. Here's to that. Absolutely. And as for a memorable panel experience, I'll tell this story because you mentioned Richard earlier, but we're talking about Richard Horvitz. Yes. So around 2017, to put it in a little context, that's when I started commuting back and forth to LA on a regular basis to do classes. And Richard's happened to be the first one I took. So I did both his A and B class that year. Okay. And during his B class, I was trying to submit a panel to LA Comic Con because I had done Anime Expo for the first time that year in ALA. So I felt like after slowly getting into LA, I was getting my footing and mojo back. So I figured, why not try these big conventions? And LA Comic Con, I decided to do something I've never done before, which was I decided to do a panel with entirely women on it. I got people like Julie Nathanson, Jennifer Hale, Elle Newlands. Oh my God. Valerie Aram, Courtney Taylor, Sarah Cravens, Larissa Gallagher, and Rachel Kimsey. Jeez, wow. And then LA Comic Con <laughs> rejected the panel, despite that awesome lineup. How, why? What, what reasons do they have to reject panels? The official reason was we had so many panels happening. This was the PR speak reason. We had so many great panels that we just couldn't select them all or something along those lines. Now, oh, normally that would be the end to the story, but there was a lot of things that happened that week that changed everything. I happened to be in class with Richard that week. And if you're in a six-week class with Richard, usually you start things off by giving updates about how life is going, if you did your homework that week and whatnot. I mentioned this thing and Richard stopped class for 15 minutes. And basically during this time, my entire class who had just heard about this brilliant idea was like, why did they reject it? So Richard took 15 minutes out of class and he started emailing this person that he knew at oh, wow. LA Comic Con because he had done the con in the past. I later found out it was the CEO of LA Comic Con at the time he was emailing. Oh my God. And by Friday, they were asking me, they basically said, we rejected it because it was 90 minutes and not 60. But oh. if he can fit it in 60, we'll approve it. And I'm like, I'll take what I can get. So mm -hmm. by that Friday, we were reapproved. And by that Monday, I could talk about it and announce it. And I'm like, that's probably one of the greatest panel stories I've ever had. <laughs> and we did the panel later in October. It was around Halloween. And it was one of the best panels I've ever done. That's awesome. That was the first panel where it felt like the industry was actually paying attention to what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And from there, I think I've gained more and more support. And just that's around the time after that where... A lot of big names started contacting me, asking when I could bring them in. <laughs> That's cool. It's such a bummer that they wouldn't just tell you. It almost sounds like there's more drama at these cons than there is on the drama shows that feature at these cons, you know? There is so much drama and politics. I've been in the middle of all of it, both as a staffer, as an industry person. There's just mm -hmm. drama, politics. Some people, this is the only time of the year or throughout multiple times of the year where they get some semblance of power every three to four days. Right. And they just oh. like to enforce it. And they just like to feel like 
they're big and strong and scary and they got all this big D energy that they have pent up. I guarantee you all of these people are board members of their HOAs, 100%. (laughs) It takes that type of person. (laughs) I mean, I stand by my quality and it's like, I've got examples. I've worked with 90 of the best actors in the business. I've, mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing. I'm even close to working with 100 people. Wow. And I thought it would take me a decade to do this. I did it in six years. Yeah. And it's great. You know, I know you mentioned earlier you were first interested in voice acting when you were 16. And it took a lot of time to check your ego and really start doing the work that you need to do. But the great thing about doing it so young is, you know, you did all that and you're still fairly young and you have all this experience and all this knowledge. And uh, a lot of people you know, that go into voice acting, they don't even start until they're several years older than you. So, And the other thing with me is a lot of people will tell you, I kind of know everyone or I'm ridiculously good at networking. And it's just from a young age, I always wanted to network with people that were in the industry. And mm. for me, because I only went to Comic-Con for the first 12 years, I started doing conventions. That meant I was always networking with some of the top people in the business and getting to know them by name and face and to the point where I got recognized, which is why it's like, oh, I've known people like Maurice LaMarche for 12 years or Rob Paulson or Brian Cummings or various other people that I could go on and on. But then I'd sound like I'm name dropping and then people (laughs) listening to the podcast would be like. Oh my God, will this guy ever shut up? <laughs> I guarantee you they're not doing that. But um, <laughs> That's awesome. And I wonder, you know, I mean, I'm so new to just cons in general. Like, I think, yeah, the very first con I went to was it was in Palm Springs last year. And then I went to LA Comic Con. But that's it. So it's a very new world to me, which is why I'm, I'm googly-eyed asking you all these questions because... Um, <laughs> You know, well, if you got credits and you have an IMDb, most of them will give you an industry badge if you apply. I don't have that ma- as many credits as other people, but Comic-Con still gave me an industry badge. And I still get industry <laughs> badges at conventions all over California and in various other parts of the world. Yeah, I, I tried my luck with LA Comic-Con and uh, I got one there. So I don't know. I just I just figured San Diego would like... They're a little more selective than they used to be, but I mean, as long as you're honest, right. the worst they can do is say no, and the best they can do is you get a badge and you only have to renew it once every three years. That's good. Um, I'm curious because you know you've been going basically your whole life. Was there already a presence for voice actors, specifically with video game voice actors, when you were first going? Because I mean, I know when I was growing up, the only voices in video games was basically Mortal Kombat on Super Nintendo. And that was pretty much it. It's really hard to say because again, as a child, my interest wasn't really in panels that slowly came with time, but I think it was around 2002 or 2003. I went to a Futurama panel and I met John DiMaggio very briefly, basically to just tell him I loved the line he did in an episode or something like that. So I want to say probably around the mid to late 2000s, that's when you started seeing more and more voice actors. Okay. And, you know, obviously there's a lot more that goes on at cons than voice acting. When you go, is it primarily to just absorb everything voice acting related and anime related? Or, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you don't really venture, you know, the markets or anything like that. You just inhale all the panels? 
I mean, I do go down to dealers hall and I love walking through artist alley and mm-hmm. just seeing just some of the brilliant art that people get. And I like buying swag as much as the next person. So of course I got to make my trips down there. And I also like getting free swag. So I spend a lot of hours down there when I'm not in panels, but usually mm-hmm. it's become more and more about panels just as I've grown up. Cause that's what I prefer to go to. Right. It sounds like your panel interest in voice acting have been intertwined for quite some time, but, and you've been for the past several years actively, aggressively pursuing voice acting as a career. But was there a point where your passion from voice acting went from, I love voice acting to, this is the moment where I know this is what I'm going to be pursuing as a career? It was around the end of my time in college, and I finally did something that resembled a professional voiceover gig, which was, I was the narrator for a for the B-roll for our student award show, which we did as a Planet Earth parody. The only difference is instead of going to exotic locations, we made it a spoof about every department. Mm-hmm. So I basically spent two and a half hours doing a David Attenborough impression, just ta- <laughs> describing every little aspect of the department for an award show. That's and cool. it was the most fun I've had. And just hearing my voice come out of an award show, it was just so much fun because we would present awards and then... We cut to the B-roll and then there'd be my voice narrating. So it's like being in an audience with hundreds of people hearing my voice for the first time ever. That was cool. That's awesome. That's rare. Unless you're obviously in in a film as a voice actor, it's rare to be in that that sort of company. Mm -hmm. So from that moment on, every decision you made in terms of profession was geared towards voice acting? Yep. I have stubbornly just said, I want to be a voice actor, nothing else, and then because I keep falling into things, other things keep coming my way, where it's like, oh, right. this is just a branch off the path of voice acting, so, okay. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in entertainment in general, while the goal might be to be a voice actor, everybody's just always doing something creative. They might produce something at one point or direct something. It's all kind of intertwined, which I like about it personally. So what have you been doing in terms of training? Oh, boy. <laughs> That's quite a journey since my first voiceover class was in 2010 with Tony Oliver. After that, I did a few things here and there. I mean, I did one improv class, then I decided I was done with improv for a little bit around 2012. <laughs> then I would occasionally do a workout with BangZoom once they started offering those. And then around 2014, 2015-ish, I did my first commute for a four-week class, which was with David Sobolov back when he used to teach with Grey Knight. Right. So I would go up to Formosa every Monday and do that. Did he do and the then, Meisner technique? Yes, he did a little bit of Meisner. So it was one of the smallest classes I ever took too. There were maybe four to six of us, depending on the oh, week. Wow. And then I really started going all in on classes around 2017 with Richard. And that was also the first year I did a class or actually a workshop with agents. While I was doing my second class with Richard, I did a class with Tom Wallace and Alyssa Gentile of Vox at the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> Shout out to Vox. Yeah. Cool. So did you take that intentionally with at that time to try to get representation or, or were you still very consciously in training mode and just trying to pick their brains about stuff? It was a combination of I had just met Alyssa earlier that year and we had started chatting and getting to know each other whenever I'd see her at events. So it became, okay. I think I want to do a class with you guys and just see where I'm at, get feedback from agents on my reads, see if they like me or see how directable I am to them. And shockingly enough, they liked my reads. That's awesome. What else have I taken? I did a four week with Bill Holmes in 2018. 
I did a class with oh. Charlie Adler, which was one of the best classes I ever took. Yeah. What did you like about it, obviously, other than everything about Charlie Adler? <laughs> well, Charlie is love. Charlie is life. It's basically like being in a cult meeting every Tuesday. It's a very big bonding experience. The thing I liked about it is there were people from all walks of their career. So there were new people, established people, people who had representation. Right. And it just felt like a bonding experience where it didn't matter what level we might feel like we're at. We're all learning together and we're all lifting each other up each week. And we're bonding over these little moments in the booth and all these stories that Charlie keeps throwing at us. That wraps up part one with the kind and insightful Jeff Burns. Along with some of his fun stories, here are some tips that might help. Tip number one, talent might get you work, but kindness keeps you working. The most important factor when Jeff is casting his panels is how nice someone is, so be nice. Two, don't let fear of failure stop you from trying something new. Nobody starts out amazing at anything. You won't know what you're capable of until you try. And three, if you have some acting credits and are interested in attending a convention, try applying for an industry badge. It's a great way to get the full con experience, and it's free. And on that note, may all you voice actors keep acting up. <laughs>